Season 2, Episode 4. We've got Aaron Ferguson from the Wisconsin State Journal talking about chaos in Camp Randall. Paul Christ is out as the head football coach of the University of Wisconsin Badgers. All that, Aaron judges 62 home runs, and an interesting journey to Happy Valley, all coming up on Raw Tools. This episode is coming late. It's been a little bit more than a week hiatus from the podcast because I've been traveling on a long voyage to and from Pennsylvania. I spent the weekend in Happy Valley, State College, Pennsylvania, more specifically Beaver Stadium, where the Northwestern Wildcats visited the Penn State Nittany Lions. If you had no idea how the game went, suffice to say it was a rain-soaked affair. The leftovers from Hurricane Ian swept up into Pennsylvania and Ohio, and it was a downpour for the entire game. The original forecast was eh, maybe a few droplets before kickoff and then it tapers off. Another forecast was that it was all going to come down in the fourth quarter, but no, it was the entirety of the game, a little bit before and a lot after. So shout out to the Nittany Lions student section, many of whom stayed through all four quarters of this downpour and constant pelting of rain in low 50s temperatures. And my heart goes out to the people in Florida dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, the destruction that's been caused there and the loss of life. So we keep them in our prayers. Northwestern lost 17-7 and really came up a couple plays short. I think there was some frustration on head coach Pat Fitzgerald's face throughout because the Wildcats saw this rain as a potential advantage. For the first couple of drives, it seemed like it was going to be ground and pound on both sides. No one really trusted their quarterbacks to throw a deep ball. The Penn State student section was getting after Sean Clifford for a lot of the game. And on many fourth and short situations when James Franklin decided not to go for it, the students let him know. There was a lot of booing. I've never heard this much booing in a single sporting event when the team was winning for the entirety of the game. And the Wildcats ended up winning the turnover battle 5-3, and in particular had a couple of takeaways early on over on fumbles and interceptions that it seemed like the pieces were in place for them to mount an upset. It wasn't going to be a high-scoring game, and if they could just maintain possession long enough and string together a couple of drives, they could have pulled it off. And I gotta hand it to Fitz and that team. They've been in every game they've played this year. Even this one. Yes, the record is 1-4, and four, and yes, they're on a four-game losing streak. However, look at the Big Ten West this year, and there is no clear-cut winner. It's still anyone's game. Is NU going to win it? Likely not. The jury's still out on whether they'll be favored for any game the rest of the way, given how they played against FCS Southern Illinois, Duke, which was led by a first-year head coach, and the Max Miami of Ohio. All three of those games were one-possession games, and they should have won each of them but they really shot themselves in the foot early. I will say that they did not do that 
to an egregious degree against, at that time, the number 11 team in the nation, now number 10. I was, I left impressed. Granted, there are no moral victories. Fitz will be the first one to tell you that. However, there are signs of life in this team, and I think they still have their best games ahead of them, and they still have a clear vision of at least a bowl game in view. They can pull this off. Is it likely? No. But that's what I'm pulling for because that's who I'm covering this season. And when things go well and teams win, that's a huge plus to anyone working in sports media. Another thing, too, if they don't turn over the ball three times, and particularly in that first half, we're talking a much different ball game here. They didn't really trust Ryan Holinsky to throw the ball. <laughs> he burned them a couple of times. But he ripped off a great pass to Jacob Gill that I barely caught with my camera, which was, I think, for about 43, 47 yards. They had the talent and the pieces in place to silence that Penn State team. And I think it bodes well for this coming weekend. It's homecoming in Chicago. And they're facing a Wisconsin team that just fired its head coach. The Badgers have their heads hanging low. They just got blown out by Illinois at home. The Fighting Illini are led by former Badgers coach Brett Bielema. So you get dunked on by 24 points up in Camp Randall. And more importantly, the Badgers, get this, held to two total rushing yards. Two! Granted, sacks played a role in that, but that is a numbers game. NU is having trouble against the run, especially in short yardage situations. This week is the time to correct that. Now, I'm not even a Northwestern fan, but I am in on this. Ironically, this game reminded me of the last true road trip that I took for a football game. you got to go all the way back to 2020. A ranked... University of Tulsa football team playing in the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth against Mississippi State. It turned out to be a close game, and I don't remember it being one throughout. However, I looked at the box score, looked at the play-by-play, and they put up 13 points in the fourth quarter. They lost 28-26. And that was Mike Leach's first year as the Bulldogs head coach. There was a lot going for it, but that was also... Freezing rain throughout. It was New Year's Eve 2020. And I remember being miserable the whole time. I was a lot more prepared as a journalist. I had the rain boots. I had the, the pullovers. I had the winter coat. I had the thermals. I had everything. And granted, I did prepare a little bit for the cold in Pennsylvania. I did not anticipate rain. Which is what you get, side note, for just looking at your Apple weather app. Trust the local news. And that football game was the last one that I really thought that I stood to cover in my professional career. And it's also slightly embarrassing because at the time I was working with a talent coach and the MO was, you only get so many limited opportunities for stand-ups, you got to right away like post up on the field or in this case post up in the stands doesn't matter, rain, shine, who's watching. You've got to be confident. You've got to deliver your stand-ups when there's players behind you on the field, when there's action going on. Side note, a great philosophy, 
for people trying to get in sports media or for people trying to carve out a better career for themselves. So the clock is winding down in this Tulsa-Mississippi State game. They're going to lose. I start fumbling through whatever stand-up I was going to do for the 6 o'clock news that night. And I'm about 30 seconds into it, and I start to hear this rabble behind me. People are going, oh my god, what's, what's going on? And I turn around, look over my shoulder, and blankly, I just start seeing punches being thrown on the field, people tackling each other well after the time expired. TU and Mississippi State players going after each other. There were a few concussions or people shaken up in that brawl. And the post-game press conference after that was not even frenzied because it was done remotely. It was all done over Zoom because of COVID. No one really wanted to ask small school TU head coach Philip Montgomery, student body 4,000, what do you have to say for yourself after such a egregious display? Lack of sportsmanship. Someone did. I think it was Garen Emig from the Tulsa world. And Philip did not apologize. He was very much a, oh, we're going to stand up if someone wrongs one of our guys and blah, blah, blah. It was very... On brand. Well done, Tulsa Golden Hurricane. To that end, when I was traveling to and from Pennsylvania, I got to stop a few places. Altoona first, which I thought was beautiful in the very short time frame that I was there. However, I stayed in Belfont, about 10 minutes away from State College. And I was blown away. Kind of near downtown Belfont, but the rolling hills, the parks, the creeks, it was this beautiful small town. I could not recommend it enough. And I stayed at an Airbnb with a Siberian Husky, posted up outside my door. Guinness was his name, by the way, Guinness the Husky. I loved everything about this trip. It was heartbreaking to leave. However, the driving got to me after a while, but I'd do it again, and I stopped in Altoona and Belfont and also Pittsburgh on the way there. I had never been. I had heard it was very much like St. Louis, very insular, very where did you go to high school, who do you know, small, predominantly Catholic city, and felt like home. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Stayed near PNC Park, near downtown Pittsburgh. And I'll tell you, that baseball stadium is worth the hype. It's up near the top of my favorites that I've been to. I've been about to 15 active ones, 19 total. And PNC is up there. It's not my favorite, but it's up there. And Pittsburgh, I loved the Strip District. Went and worked out at a CrossFit gym. It was... Such a badass city, and I need to go back. First time in Pennsylvania, and not even to the biggest city in Pennsylvania. It was something else. Loved it. While we're on the subject of baseball, I mentioned visiting PNC Park. We're also recording this the same night that Aaron Judge hit his 62nd home run of the 2022 season. That is the single season record for the American League and should be celebrated. 
there has been some debate online about which records in baseball we should recognize, given the checkered history over the past 20 years involving performance-enhancing drugs and steroids and everything in between. For those of us who can walk and chew gum at the same time and think two thoughts at once, I offer this. Barry Bonds is the single-season home run record holder with 73. He hit that in 2001. However, I pose to you that Aaron Judge is the better natural power hitter in the game. Better than Bonds in his prime. This does not come without statistical backup. If you take a look at Aaron Judge's isolated power this year, or ISO, you can calculate that by taking his slugging percentage and then subtracting his batting average from it. His ISO comes out to 375. Barry Bonds did not top that number until he hit 385 ISO in the year 2000. That was his age 35 season, at which time his numbers were starting to inflate naturally or otherwise. Both things can be true. You can recognize that Bonds hit 73 home runs, which is a tough thing to do. Hitting a home run is likely the hardest thing to do in professional American sports. Hitting a baseball is hard. Hitting it 400 feet? Completely different story. 73 home runs recognized. However, Aaron Judge... Not a doubt, he's doing it clean. Baseball has the protocol in place now, and Judge looks the part. He's six foot seven, muscular, elite power hitter, the better natural power hitter of the two. And I say this because, of all people, Roger Maris Jr. is in the headlines, multiple headlines, saying multiple times that his dad, Roger Maris, had the true home run record and that baseball should recognize two records, PED record and the real, for lack of a better word, true record of now 62 home runs set by Aaron Judge. That's all well and good. I understand where he's coming from. You've got to keep your name relevant in the headlines somehow. But I don't think it's that simple. And by the way, where was Roger Maris Jr. when Mark McGuire hit his 60-second home run? He was in the crowd. What changed? What happened? What made that less of a spectacular feat to see that ball just barely get over the wall at Bush Stadium? I watched that video when Big Mac hit 62. It's one of the most iconic moments in sports. He forgets to touch first base. He has to go back. Everyone's giving him hugs and high fives around the bases. Sammy Sosa comes in. Yeah, Roger. That's a, it's a tough look. And no one these days is going to recognize that. Baseball does not want to associate itself with the steroid era any more than it has. It completely killed the momentum the game had. It took away interest back in the early 2000s when steroids started to become a topic of conversation. 
and the Mitchell Report in 2007 was basically the death knell. It was very hard to get baseball to bounce back, even when, at that time, Ryan Howard was hitting 58 home runs, and there were great power hitters in that game. You wonder why Bryce Harper and Mike Trout weren't able to save the game of baseball. It's because the branding and the public image of the game had been so tarnished, it had been so legalized, it had been so tossed around and gross. As for Aaron Judge, again, best power hitter in the game. I'm happy for him. I remember going to a game at Yankee Stadium in 2017, and then a couple days later was the home run derby, and he was competing in that. It was his rookie season. I remember sitting on my sister's couch in Washington Heights and saying, this guy's going somewhere. This guy's got good things going for him. And... Granted, he's had a share of injuries that have held him back from, to this point, getting up to that 50 home run echelon that he hit his rookie year. But I'm just so impressed, and I'm happy. Another Yankees right fielder is mashing taters. As for Judge, you gotta pay him. Yes, he's had some injuries in the past. However, you've got a three, four year window where he can really take off and be that, right now they're hitting him leadoff, but heart of the order type of hitter. He's got a couple more of these seasons left in him. 50 home runs at least. If I'm Aaron Judge and I'm about to hit free agency, you might look at the most hitter-friendly parks. See who pays you the most. I would have loved to have seen Aaron Judge 81 games a year at Coors Field. That would have been unfair. But you know, that Chris Bryant signing is working out really well for the Rocks, so... I digress. My guest this week is the deputy editor of Badgers Extra. That is a website for Lee Sports Wisconsin based in Madison. It's Aaron Ferguson. Aaron, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Luke? I'm fantastic. We've followed each other on Twitter for the better part of eight years, maybe more than that. And finally <laughs> able to put a face to a name and a name to a Zoom call and a Zoom call to a podcast that will get tens and tens of listens. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The big news right now out of Camp Randall, Paul Christ is out as head coach. He has done a pretty consistent job over his time there. Why did the Wisconsin administration make this move right now? Well, that's the golden question, right? Like, there still hasn't been a clear answer from the administration of why Paul Christ is no longer the coach right now. Right. He won 72% of his games in seven seasons plus five games. And, you know, was six and one in bowl games, a couple Big Ten championship game appearances. He actually, right now, his time at Wisconsin has a better record than Jim Harbaugh does at Michigan. And, you know, it's a very high standard that you're setting for the next coach to come in, whether that's Jimmy Leonard, who got promoted from defensive coordinator and is now um, the interim head coach. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say he's been promoted yet, but uh, there's many who believe they want him to be the next head coach. He's the odds favorite out of Vegas. Um, the other the other name is Lance Leipold, who spent time at Wisconsin as a GA and spent six years, or he won six national titles at Wisconsin Whitewater. And he's also spent some time at Nebraska, which I'm sure as you've talked about previously, his uh, head coach opening in its own, uh, Scott Frost parting ways with him earlier this year. So 
there, you know, there's not a clear answer from the administration, but my thing, my thought, I guess, on this is, you know, Wisconsin sitting here two and three, just looked listless the last two games. Now, nobody expects them to beat Ohio State. I think the fact that it was 21 nothing real quick in that game and in Wisconsin looked like they hadn't even been off the bus in that game was 21 nothing. Like there was no effort at all. I think that maybe played a part into it. Losing to Brett Bielema, like it's a good storyline, but I don't know that that did it at all. I think to me, I think they wanted to make this change now before they got hot because you look at the rest of the schedule, the way it lays out, they they may, may very well end up in Indianapolis playing Ohio State or Michigan in the Big Ten title game because the West is crazy and, and you just you just don't know. The schedule sets up pretty nicely for them. They did start behind the eight ball, though. They're the only team that's 0-2 in that Big Ten West division. And there is, like you said, no clear-cut winner out of that group. How shocking was it then for them to part ways with the bulk of their schedule ahead of them? Yeah, I mean, that's a big piece, right? Because last year they started one and three, and then they went on and they would have been going to Indy had they beat Minnesota there in the in the battle for the X, the border battle there at the end. Um, so I think they wanted to get – essentially not give Chris an opportunity to get hot again and win eight, nine games again this year and, and say, well, you know – risk losing Leonard to Nebraska or elsewhere. Um, you know, I, it, nobody has said that. Uh, I think a lot of speculation among national pundits is out there that says the same thing. Um, but it, the timing of it's odd. I mean, a guy who won 72% of his games, like you're setting a pretty high standard moving forward. To that end, it's hard to win championships in Wisconsin. In particular, doesn't seem like there's a, natural recruiting base it's not a national championship historically contending program usually nine wins would be enough to get by it seems like this could backfire in some way if wisconsin doesn't put the right person in place what are your thoughts on the future of this program and its capabilities yeah, it very well could. I think there's definitely limitations when you look at Wisconsin. It's a great academic institution, so there's going to be some issues getting some certain level players into the university academically. And then the recruiting footprint. I mean, you're, you know, I just made the drive from Michigan yesterday. Like, you're two hours from anywhere in Chicago, really. Maybe two and a half to the east side. But you've got a great recruiting base there if you can get kids from Chicago up to Madison. Otherwise, you're hopping on a plane to go down to Texas, Florida, Georgia, Ohio. I mean, it, it's a little bit of a hike to, to find some more fertile recruiting ground. So there are definitely some challenges. Now, Chris McIntosh, the athletic director, said he wants it to be a championship program. He wants all the programs to be championship-level programs. You've, the college football landscape is changing. That, that's just the reality, changing every day with the expanded college football playoff coming in 2026 and possibly sooner, you know, you get to the big 10 title game, you're probably in the playoff. And now we don't know that divisions are staying when UFC and UCLA join, but if they do, I mean, you just got to win the West and, and you're, you're in now that's a tall order. If you're, you're going to go up against UCLA and USC, but I mean, there's been years, you look at the past decade, there's years that Wisconsin's playing in the, 
in the college football playoff multiple years. So, you know, once you get in the playoffs, anybody's got a shot. So I think there is a vision that it can be maybe not a national championship program, but a big 10 championship program, or at least making the playoff year to year. And if, if you're getting that and then you're increasing the revenue, you know, who knows, you get more facilities, more in NIL and, and, and who knows, but I can see where Chris McIntosh would go and make this move. Uh, but yeah, nine wins a year, 10, year, 10 wins a year. That's going to be the standard. And if you're not living up to that, good luck. That's a tall order to fulfill. And if that's the floor, at least for the next head coach, best of luck to them. And that's also a good point that you get the right guy in now to build up the program to the vision that you want. And by the time 2026 rolls around, you are starting to look at that competitive window. Wisconsin is one of those programs that is interesting to me because for me, I always assumed in the back of my head, a program with that prestige that is on the national scene and is usually in the top 25, top 15, that they would have claimed one national title somewhere down the line, but alas, it didn't happen. <laughs> I, and that's, that's not a diss. That's not a knock. It's just, it's one of those things like, huh, right. how weird. I covered Oklahoma state for a hot second and they claim the 45 championship. Uh, I think it officially goes to army, but it's one of those where it's like, eh, do they all of Texas A&M's national titles? You're like, ah, uh, yeah, it's one of those. Um, I've seen teams bounce back with an interim head coach and go guns blazing and play their hearts out and make a bowl game to finish a season. And I've also seen teams fall completely flat with an interim head coach. How much fight will this Badgers team show on Saturday under Jim Leonard? Well, I think you'll see a lot of fight out of them. And, uh, you know, before I left the office today, I was talking with a couple of coworkers. Like, I think, they're not only going to fight for Jim Leonard, who's beloved by the players. He's beloved by alumni. And, and one of the things that's come up is he really embodies what it means to be a Wisconsin Badger going from a walk-on to a All-American to a 10-year NFL career. Like, he's no slouch. He knows the game of football. But they're not just going to fight for Jimmy Leonard. They're going to fight for Paul Christ. Uh, he's beloved by players. There's just an outpouring of support for him on social media. They, they feel wrong that Coach Chris was fired, and I think they're going to go out and, uh, you know, play with a little bit of anger and, and be a little bit more inspired than, than they've shown the past couple of weeks and really even the first five games if, if you want to factor in Washington State as well. It's a bittersweet feeling, no doubt, for Leonard getting a potential dream job or being in line for one, but also having to say goodbye to your mentor and a a coach who won 72, 73% of his games. <laughs> I think the betting line right now has Wisconsin maybe nine point favorites. I expect that to go down. How realistic would it be for NU to pull the upset? Well, that's why they play the games, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I th you know, they're sitting there, Wisconsin's sitting there at two and three. And I, I looked over that Washington State game for for a couple of days and just looking over the box score, I'm like, how did they lose this? Well, you know, you had a couple of bad field goal attempts, um, you know, and, and that's a field goal game. So really you make two field goals and you win it, right? They have 400 yards of offense there. Turn, I believe the turnover battle was a wash and they had over hundred yards of penalty yards. So you gained 400 yards of offense and then still had a hundred yards of penalties. Now, some of those are deep defensively, but 
you know, that's a game they should have won. Ohio State, again, I don't know who expects them to win that game. Illinois, it is what it is. People have bad games. Northwestern, you know, they show what they can do against Nebraska, but the circumstances around that game are so weird because you're in a different country. You know, Nebraska came out. I remember that first series. They looked like they're going to run away with that, the way the offense played that first series. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. Nebraska's got a two-score lead there in the second half, and they just kind of fold, you know. They just melt down. And then Northwestern, you know, they're they're they're, they're going to be there for the taking. Coach Fitz always has them prepared. So, you know, I, I think it'll be a competitive game because I just don't know. Um, I think Graham Mertz's decision-making has been mostly good. There's I can think of two instances right now, uh, one from the Illinois game and one from the – from the Ohio state game where he just made decisions and it's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what were you thinking when you let go of that ball? Um, but overall, I think he's played pretty well. I think the offense has been okay, but they need to, they need to air it out a little bit more. They're trying to run the ball too much and, you know, a coach fits defense is going to stop the run. So <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what happens. And you has similar quarterback decision-making concerns with Ryan Holinsky it's been a roller coaster. There have been times where he's looked amazing and other times where he has looked less than spectacular. Moving on, the Badgers were held to two total rushing yards against the Illini. What concerns do you have with the running game? Well, Wisconsin's had some issues with the offensive line, whether it's injuries, shuffling guys in and out, Look, Brett Bielma teams are physical. And I said a couple of weeks prior to that game, I was like, the schedule does not set up well for them because you're going to have – Bielma's going to want to win that game. I'm, you want to win every game, and he downplayed it. But he's going to want to come into Madison and win that game especially. But the other thing is you, you're playing a very physical team. His teams are always physical at the point of attack. And and their, their line dominated. And uh, I think one of the things Wisconsin needs to do – they're for so long, their offense has used the run to set up the pass. They need to flip it. I mean, look, you got to trust Graham Mertz, let him make some plays on first down, and then get that box of eight guys spread out and then, then hand the ball off to Braylon Allen and let him make a move and take off for Ches Malusi or Isaac Arundo. It's not a lack of talent in the backfield. I think the offensive line is a little bit um, hamstrung by injuries, and the play calling just really has been questionable. Um so, you know, they need to come out and, and prove that they can throw the football and throw it early on, on on first down, second down, and then try to open up the run game as opposed to, you know, getting getting away from traditional Wisconsin, I guess, and using the run to set up the pass. Could be an opportunity for NU defensive back Cam Mitchell to shine. He was everywhere at the point of attack against Penn State when they decided to throw the ball. Gun to your head, who's the next coach of the Wisconsin Badgers? Well, I think it's Jim Leonard's job to lose, right? You don't make this move, especially with a guy like that who's already been brought up in other uh, coaching searches and, and given him that kind of leash to, to do something where, this, like we said, the schedule sets up nicely for them. Like if you go five and two, you extend your bowl streak and, and uh, you know, you go into next year and, and try to keep the recruiting class intact. The odds makers had some interesting names. Um, Bill O'Brien, the former Penn State coach who 
many will remember from his Texans days, but they remember him because his general manager decisions were, were not very good. Not that he was a bad coach. Uh, a Tom Herman's name came up in, in the, in the betting odds. And I was like, I don't, I don't know that I see that one working out. Chris Peterson, the Fox analyst who's at Washington or was at Washington, longtime Boise state coach. But I, I really think it's Leonard or Leipold. Um, you know, Leonard's the front runner. And, and I think everything indicates that Lance Leipold, the Wisconsin guy, Wisconsin native. I saw today, uh, I think in the Topeka newspaper, he said, you know, I'm focused on Kansas. I'm not, not worried about the Wisconsin stuff right now. Um, our columnists put out some interesting names, Dave Doran at NC state. Uh, he spent some time on Brett Bielema's staff. Um, would he want to make a move from Raleigh? They're having great success, but they haven't won more than nine games. Thomas Hammock, of course, he's coaching his alma mater at Northern Illinois. Would he want to leave that to come to Wisconsin? And do you want a guy whose best season is nine and five? Uh, Sean Lewis is a former Badger tight end. He's at Kent State. They gave uh, Georgia a game earlier this year. And then, you know, there's some different off-the-wall names. Is Matt Campbell a guy who will come? Um, Jake Dickert, the Washington State uh, head coach in his first year there. You know, he's a Wisconsin native as well. Um, Matt Rule is another hot name from the Carolina Panthers. Is he going to well, he may end up getting fired, but does he want to come back to the college level? But I really do think it's going to be um, Jimmy Leonard at the end of the day because it, it just – why would you make this move now if if he's not the guy, you know, moving forward? And, again, maybe he they only win two games. And there, there's some other stuff, you know, you could say he doesn't have the offensive staff. Uh, the offensive staff maybe isn't properly equipped to – you know, just guys in wrong positions, staffing positions, and and you can fall back on that. But, you know, you don't make this move without a game plan moving forward, I don't think. What concerns would you have about the Badger program under Leonard's leadership? Well, you know, he's a defensive guy. He's he's seen the game from the defensive backfield. He's got a ton of special teams experience, both in the NFL and, and when he was a Badger playing. So I think he's going to be okay on those sides of the ball. He's going to have good philosophies. His defenses have been pretty good. I mean, the Packers don't come knocking on your door if you're not a pretty good defensive coordinator. So I think that side of the ball is going to be okay. I think, um, you know, the offensive side, it's got to be figured out because the past few years, that's where the Badgers have really struggled. Uh, Bobby Ingram this year, he's their third offensive coordinator or the third play caller. Um, You know, the offensive line is something else that needs to be addressed and, and we'll excuse it this year. Like I'm not, I'm not knocking those kids at all, uh, especially dealing with injuries. But, um, you know, they brought in Bob Bostad, and, and he's going to have to work to to rebuild the offensive line to what he once had in his first stint here. Um, so definitely the off, the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Jimmy's a defensive guy, and, and he's done well for himself as a kick and punt returner. So I think they'll be all right if he's, if he's the guy moving forward on those sides of the ball. And uh, – offensively I think a lot of people want to see a little more modern offense can you do that at Wisconsin can you get the types of athletes you need uh with with really just Chicago to claim for your recruiting grounds I don't know if you can do all that but hey Dante Moore is going all the way to Oregon and I'm sure in the the era of name image and likeness you know and and the transfer portal I mean those are two huge developments in college football over the past couple years so who knows maybe it can work out and I've already seen uh, one clip earlier today, a five-star granted defensive tackle. 
uh, was saying he, he considers Wisconsin more now because Jim Leonard's that guy. So who knows? Anything can happen. <laughs> it is a unique time for many college football programs that are on the precipice, like on the cusp of competing on the big stage. I would consider Wisconsin one of those where it's a prestigious institution. It makes the Big Ten championship. It plays with the big boys. There are a few stars that need to align for them to push it over the top to get to where they want to go to be a championship program. But there's no better time than now to hopefully even the playing field because the Big Ten right now is stacked. The East is probably the best division in college football right now. And it's an uphill battle but an exciting one. Um, Aaron, one other thing. When we started following each other, correct me if I'm wrong, you worked for the Peoria Journal Star. Is that right? Guilty. Guilty indeed. I interned at Channel 25 as a, as a sports intern under Lee Hall. Okay. What year was that? That was summer 2014. Summer 2014. Okay. I worked there... Um... Let's see, that would have been 2015. I worked basically August to May when I graduated from Bradley. I worked at Channel 25 with Lee, Jim Matson, and Mark Strauss. Uh, oh, yeah. So Mark's 25 and 19. But, yeah, so, uh, you know, TV was kind of my track there for a while. That's what I wanted to do. And then, uh, you know, things work out the way they do. You you build connections and network. And I got into the, the written side of things. And here we are you know, several years later and connecting over Zoom to, <laughs> to talk about Big Ten football. Like, that's crazy that we were both in Peoria at the same time. Yeah, I started writing and thought I was going to do maybe some radio. And I interned at the, the TV station. And from that point on out, everyone kept telling me not to do TV. So I kept mm -hmm. doing TV to try to spite not the people at, at 25, but the um, people either at my institution or throughout the professional universe. Um, when I started getting TV jobs, they're like, oh, you can't sustain that. You can't do that forever. They're not going to hire people like you. And yeah, there's reasonable thought tracks behind that, but I kept doing it and it, and it started there. Um, my parents are actually both from the Peoria area, um, Pekin go dragons that was um it was a great summer it was a great summer living um with the extended family up in peoria and they're having a great season football wise this year too the dragons of course oh my goodness i gotta I'm undefeated and steamrolling everybody in the middle on that right now what are their chances this year <laughs> we'll see you know I, I don't know what class size they're in i i don't follow it too closely anymore but uh you know, they were in 7A when I was in Peoria, and that's the second largest class size in Illinois. And, man, when you're getting into that, you better have multiple D1 guys if you're trying to win state. <laughs> that's exciting. I got to get me some Pekin Community High School gear, cheer on the, the parents' alma mater. That would be that would be something else. Aaron, what else would you like people to know? Um, oh, man, I, I'm not good at these open-ended questions. I'm usually the one asking them. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just, I, you know, Wisconsin's been good to me. I've been up here since May, and Madison's just a beautiful town. So if you're ever looking for 
for a Northwestern road trip or, uh, you know, what, any sport. I mean, Wisconsin's so good in so many sports, whether it's volleyball. Uh, yeah, I know they already played earlier this year, but whether it's volleyball or hockey, Northwestern have hockey. I don't know. I haven't followed that closely yet. We're just getting into it. But, you know, whatever sport it is, like Madison's a great town. There's so much to do here. Uh, even if you're just looking for some spotted cow, like come on over. Like we've got the brewery nearby. So come on over and, uh, you know, Madison's a good time. So Wisconsin Badgers fans are very passionate. I think a lot of the discourse leading up to Paul Chris firing would show that <laughs> based on what we've seen uh, up here. But I don't think it was malicious in any way. I think, you know, Paul Chris is a Madison guy. He was born here. You know, he grew up a few blocks from Camp Randall Stadium when his dad was a coach, and then he played here, quarterbacked the Badgers, and and then was l- truly living out his dream as the head coach. And you know, I think I think people lose sight. Like things were going south. I thought from a from a you know a broader perspective as someone who observed the program from afar. But as I've been following it a little closer, you know, the signs were I think a little more clear as to where the program may have been heading. But I don't think people should lose sight of what Paul Chris did when he was here, you know, winning and getting to a Rose Bowl, getting to an Orange Bowl and getting to Indy for the Big Ten Championship. Like he sustained a lot of success that carried from Bielema to Gary uh, Anderson and uh, and forward. So, um, yeah, no, I don't know. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, let's do this again sometime. Yes, sir. Aaron Ferguson, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Thank you.